0: All right. Hopefully that gets you, get your juices flowing, wakes you up a little, uh, kind of that bumper really remind us that this thing called the Christian life, it's war, we're going to get to that next week, we're going to really talk about those verses you saw on the screen are going to come out um, with force next week. Uh, so before we jump there, I got this morning to get to. excited about this morning, we're in page 61 of the known journal, if you have one of them, uh, if you say, well, what's that? Uh, it's it's a reading plan that we put together to help you know uh, God intimately and closely and walk with him throughout the week, there's some readings there that will take you right into uh, Ephesians and where we're at this week so you can encounter God uh, kind of that one-on-one just you and him uh, kind of thing. So, it's in a journal format, there's still a few of them out there, they're free. We just ask you to use them. Then there's a place to take some notes or the reading plan, uh, just in a pamphlet form, that's there as well if you're not a journal uh, person. Now, here's where I want to open this message up this morning. I want to talk a little about my own journey. This morning's message really kind of dovetails my uh, spiritual journey and my growth. And I want to be upfront about that. I want to try and be vulnerable with you and kind of show you what I've learned over the years, over 25 or so years of really walking seriously uh, with Jesus in, in a way where I've really committed myself to following him. And I want to start kind of with this thought. Um, a few years ago, I opened up Harvard Business Review, and as I was kind of thumbing through, there was a... There was a survey of the toughest jobs in America. And I don't know, you can probably kick around. You may have some you could add to the list. And, and I was kind of looking at the list. And some of them I wasn't surprised by. Like number one, I remember, was the United States president. I mean, who in the right mind would want that job? I mean, it's just, it's a tough job, no matter who you are and what. So again, it's a tough job. And it had things like college, university presidents uh, were, were on that list. And I've never been one. I've never talked to one. So I'm not quite sure why. That job's tough, but I'll take their word for it. Uh, but number five on the list. You know what number five was? Number five, pastor. Now, it was listed as clergy. I prefer the term pastor. It's just my own take. Not clergy is not bad or wrong, but I prefer pastor. So pastor, and I sat there, and I, I remember reading it. I just started to chuckle. I'm like, yeah, look at that. That makes some things make sense. I mean, it's kind of what I thought when I read it. Uh, but I already knew this is a tough job. I love this job. I truly love this job. I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else, but it is a hard job. Now, if you talk to different pastors and and clergy around the land, uh, you'll get different answers. You say, why is it hard? And you're going to get all kinds of answers as to what it is. But let me share you with you, just very vulnerable, why it's hard for me. And I want to use a verse to show it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. This is written by a guy, if you're not familiar with Timothy, it's written to a man named Timothy. He was a young man, probably late 20s, mid 30s, somewhere in that ballpark. It was written um, by an older man, Paul, who kind of was a, his spiritual leader, spiritual mentor. Paul was beginning ready to, um, to move in uh, to eternity, and he is writing to Timothy to say, here is how you pass. Pastor Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Uh, this passage, if, if you, those of you in the room that may have been around church a while, um, know this passage probably because the verses that come before it, or when it says, "Listen, um, Timothy, don't let don't let others look down at you because you're young." Uh, so again, they've always been verses, especially when I was young. I'm getting older, but um, they were always verses I held on to. So here's as you read it. Here's what he says: Give your complete attention. This is written to a pastor. Give your complete attention to these matters. And you can go back and look at what he was talking about if you'd like this week. Throw yourself, throw yourself. I mean, this is this wholehearted, passionate pursuit. Throw yourself into your task. So, he's going to give you a reason. Here's why I want you to do it. Be wholehearted, be passionate, so that everyone will see your what? Progress. What makes this job hard for me is it's incredibly vulnerable. I am out in front on a regular basis. I am up here on a stage, weekly, talking. And uh, the old proverb goes, um, where words are many, sin is not absent. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just kind of reality. I sin, but yet I'm looked to, the juxtaposition is I'm looked to as a spiritual leader. I'm looked to as a person who's gonna represent God at some capacity as we open up the scriptures. But yet the reality is so I understand that reality, and, and people can kind of begin to put a pastor or or, or a clergy up on a platform. I, I kind of feel that pressure, but yet then I sit back and I realize that I sin, and in my sin, I hurt who? You, the people who are looking to me. I hurt my wife, I hurt my kids, I hurt the people I love. So it's interesting to me, Paul tells Timothy something that's hard, and, and I've kind of swung the pendulum on this. There's, there's a couple of ways to respond to your progress and your growth. Uh, one, is, one is, and I've done both of these, unfortunately. One, I've been a pastor uh, vocationally now about 15, 14, 15 years. Um, nine years, going in my ninth year here. Uh, and so I've done both of these. One is to wall yourself off, to really be private, to protect yourself to never share personally from from a position like this, to never get into when you're counseling someone, never share your own personal stuff, build walls, keep people out, protect yourself, always make sure you're scripted and putting your best foot forward. That's one way to handle your growth, your, your, your junk, your sin. Uh, the, other way, the other way, and I've done this one too, unfortunately, the other way is to swing the pendulum the other side and just kind of throw it all out there and say, guys, take me as I am. Love me or hate me, I sin. And because I sin, this is what it, and, and what happens in that now uh, is I'm low, what I'm really trying to do when I say that is sometimes I'm lowering the bar of your expectations so I don't let you down. But Paul doesn't say either of them. What does Paul tell Timothy to do? Just live life. Throw yourself wholly into your job. And let people see your growth. Now, that's hard. It's hard to be up here to be the person that's, that's a topic of conversation at a few lunch tables and, and, you know, and to disappoint people and whatnot. And yet the reality is, and here's the thing, it's cool. I love, love, love Bethany Grace Fellowship Church. You know why? You guys, I came in following a pastor that was here 34 years. I was third, barely 34, I wasn't even 34 years old when I started. And the grace and the warmth that some of you have walked with me with has been appreciated. Some of you have patiently endured with some of my mess. And I love those of you who know you are, who've walked with me the closest, will have, have even in the last couple of years, have said, Adam, they, I love this. They say, Adam, man, I love to see that you've matured. Now, one time when I get that note, I'm thinking, oh, does that mean I was immature? Well, I probably was. <laughs> but the reality is, it's, it's when I hear that, I'm like, thank you. Because I feel it. I, I feel the change and I feel the growth. So it is nice that, that when the progress is out there, people see it, they respond. So here's what I want to share. I share all that to say, not to make this about me, but I want to talk to you this morning where we're in this whole series about the conflict between holiness, holiness and discipline and obedience and duty and, and make it happen Christianity and, and grace and love and, and, and how do these two work together? And what I want to say is the growth that I have experienced, that some of you have seen in me, has been very intentional and very hard. They're the two words I want to open up with this morning, intentional and hard. Spiritual growth does not just happen. Let this sink in, please. You don't just drift to spiritual growth. If you're just drifting, you're going the other direction, I promise, you don't just plop yourself down on an inner tube and float down the river and hope you're going to land at the right spot. So spiritual growth is very intentional and it is very hard. It requires a lot of effort. And we're going to talk about the effort that's required. So before we do that, let me set this foundation. We've been This whole series we're saying is, is hallmarked with this statement. Often we fail at holiness, or you could put the word discipline, or hard work, or effort, or, or, or often we fail at obedience. Often we fail at holiness because we fail at grace. And for some reason in my life, I've often looked at effort and hard work as the opposite of grace, God's grace, God's love, God's gospel message, which we're going to talk about. But what I've come to realize, and I just want to share with you this morning, what I've come to realize is effort is not the opposite of grace. What I have learned is living by grace and living by faith requires far more effort and hard work than living by law. Law is actually quite easy. Now, it's not easy to accomplish, but it's easy because I set my rules and I live by my rules and I check it off and it's a very clear indicator of have I made it or have I not. Living by grace is squishy, it's messy, it's hard, it's up and down and in and out, and I'm just, you know, what, what might go today won't go tomorrow, and it's messy and it's very hard. So I want to talk about the effort, the hard work that's required of this journey, this Christian life, the spiritual disciplines, etc. So that's it. Turn with me. We've been in Ephesians working through the letter to the church at Ephesus. Which is in present, it, it, where it was, uh, would be in present day Turkey, our present day Turkey. Uh, I want to start with um, in chapter 4, page 979. We've kind of worked up to this section. We, if you know, we had the series where we went verse by verse through chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now we're kind of taking the back part of the book a little broader and not quite hitting every verse. We want to kind of capture a chapter 4 this morning and even some of chapter 5. Now, as you turn there, I want to start with verse 20. Let's start with verse 22. Start with verse 22. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we're going to talk. We're going to explain these verses a little more deeper. But Paul is writing and says, "Okay, so we want to put off and now put on, and then he's going to give you all these things that you get rid of, and then the things that you put on in place." Verse 25, for example, stop telling lies. So instead of telling lies, the rest of the verse, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all part of the same body. And and then he's going to talk this. Really, I want to key in in this verse 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to read the verse again. I'm going to give you something to think about. Think about that anger verse. Your your job, put yourself in an imaginary situation, your job is to be me. You're going to be a pastor, and you have to write a message on those verses. You have to get up on stage and teach those verses. What do you say? Or maybe, put it maybe in a more realistic context, you have a friend who is struggling with anger. I mean, they explode all the time. You're burdened for them, so you're going to take them out to lunch or breakfast or coffee or have them over, and you want to push into it, and these verses come to mind, and then your job in that lunchtime is to step in with them and share with them the truth of the scriptures. How do you do it? Or maybe you work with children or or teenagers or you lead a small group or a Sunday school class, and, and your job is to teach these verses. How do you do it? Now what I've learned, and, and I've done this, and I, here's some of the ways we can do this a lot of times is well, it's pretty straightforward. Let's talk about anger, let's talk about how it doesn't work. let's talk how ugly it is. let's talk about not controlling us. Let's, it's a command. Challenge people to obey the command. Take care of your anger some, uh, and and there's we have, I won't give you his name because I highly respect him and I'm not sharing this because I just want to, we have his books in our library. Uh, He leads a huge national family ministry that I have benefited from that I'm deeply appreciative of yet he, here's how he takes these verses. He takes these verses in a marital context and he says this. He said it publicly. He says it in one of the books in our library. He says, never let the sun go down while you're angry. So in the context of marriage, he says, never go to bed angry. And then says, says, my wife and I have seen the sun come up at times. Now, we high-five the preacher man as as we walk out the door. Way to go. Thank you so much. Man, you challenged me. You spoke into me. You pushed me. Man, I've got a problem. I've got to deal with my problem. Thank you. I can really see how important it is to deal with it. And we high-five and we walk out the door and we step into our week to work on our problem. But I want to push in. That message may have been phenomenal. I don't know. Uh, but it depends on the heart in which it comes from. And here's where we get ourselves in trouble. First Timothy 4, verses 3 to 5. Again, this is Paul writing to this Timothy, this young, young pastor. It's the second time he wrote to him. It's a much more intimate letter because uh, Paul is now getting ready to die. He's very close to death. He's writing. It's like this father passing on to his son. He says, For a time is coming. If you've been around church, you've heard these verses before, and I promise you even uh, have even referenced a phrase in here. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Have you ever heard that? The the preachers are tickling their ears or itching their ears, right? They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Most people who reference this are talking validly, in, in a good way, about, about churches and ministries and authors who, who, who have kind of bought into our sexual culture and have, and have twisted scripture to say things that scripture doesn't say. Uh, things about homosexuality, things about what it is to sex before marriage and living with someone outside the context of marriage and on and on it goes. And so, and so we, we look to that and say they're just tickling people's ears. What we miss, though, that's not all Paul's talking about. He could very well be talking about us and how we handle a verse like 26 and 27 about anger. Why? Well, look at the next verse. But you, so it's the contrast. So don't tickle people's ears, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. So be clear-headed. Okay, be clear with your thinking. Don't be afraid of suffering. So I love this. So you're going to have to say some things that are going to tick people off. Don't be afraid to suffer, okay? For the Lord. Keep it in him, not just for you. Work at telling others. Now here's what, so instead of tickling ears, here's what I want you to Work at telling others the what? Work at telling others the good news. So when I am tickling your ears, it's the opposite of the good news. Is it good news if I tell you Deal with your anger. You have an anger problem, go take care of your anger. Is that good news? No. Why is it not good news? Yeah, you can discipline yourselves, you can work hard, you can do some things that are going to probably curve your anger, It's going to probably make you better. There's some, there's some great tricks out there and there's some things that you can just naturally apply that are going to make you better. But are you ultimately going to deal with your soul? And the anger that's deep within your heart. No. Why not? Because the good news is you can't. You say, why is that good news? Because someone has dealt with it for you. So often, here's what I want to, Here's the point I'm trying to make. So often we preach verses like 22 and on, put off and put on. We have pastors will stand up and challenge people to go do your hard work. Go do what's required of you as a Christian. Work hard and we, and we feel our toes stepped on and we think, man, that preacher is so bold and so brave because he's challenging us. Well, he might be if he's doing it within the context of good news, but often I fear that message, I've looked back over my, this week, I pulled out some files and I think, man, how many messages have I preached that have simply challenged people to behave right? That's not good news. Let me push in even further. Let me challenge even further because what we love to do, we love to read passages and create rules. Don't go to bed angry. I'm never going to ever, 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 if I even have to see the sun come up, I'm going to go to angry with my wife. We love it. We love it. We love it. Well, Paul is quoting David, He's quoting David, and look at what David says in Psalm 4. Uh, he's David. If you're not familiar with who David is, he's the guy that killed the giant. Maybe you know him that way, the great king. It's, it's in the early parts of our Bible. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, that's kind of who David is. He wrote, wrote all these songs. He says this, don't, don't sin by letting anger control you, right? You just heard that. Look at what else he says. Think about it when. <laughs> Does this make you love? Think, think about it when. Overnight. In other words, go to bed. And you say, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. Paul just said, don't let the sun go down. David said, go to bed. Which is it? Now, here's, I share this with you because of the tension that it creates. We think, oh my goodness, the scriptures are contradicting themselves. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I I looked at commentaries this week, and they all spend their energies, and I got online and Googled stuff, and everyone spends their energy talking about the contradiction. And I simply stop and say, you know what? I'm not so sure it's a contradiction. Here's what I think the problem is. We are so busy making rules to live by. And I'd say, stop making rules. If you don't approach the scriptures to make rules, I don't think it contradicts itself at all. I would say live by grace. That's the heart of this soul what we're talking about. Let me push even deeper. Why I think it becomes a contradiction and why we have this this fixation and trying to make it make sense is because I think often, here's the challenge, make sure you're not just in love with the Bible but the God of the Bible. The religious leaders of the day when Jesus was alive were coming and they knew their scriptures inside and out and Jesus looks at them and says, but guys, you missed me. These are given to point you to me. The Christian life, if you're new to if you're new to Christianity, you're new to the church. Here's, let me let me say, it. the Christian life is not a, the Bible's not a rule book. The Bible is given to us so we can get to know our Father in Heaven. Christianity is not a bunch of laws. Christianity is a relationship with that Creator of heaven and earth, who, when we step in by faith and grace. And accept his love and mercy and kindness. He makes us new and brings us alive. And we step into a relationship. That's Christianity. But when we, when we miss the relationship, we're so busy reading the scriptures to give us the rules so that I can live by, so that I can check them off. I can control my marriage. If I just do this, then this will happen. If I can make this, then this. And, and we work so hard at that. I think we're wearing ourselves out, and holiness isn't even being found because we're missing grace. Now, if you're going to overcome the things you want to overcome in your life, we all have them. I have them. You have them. It requires a relationship of grace with the author of the Bible. Now, some of you say, but Adam, where is that in the text? Well, let me show you. Now, if I do, hopefully do it well. I want to show you where it is right here in front of us, and we miss it. I miss it all the time. The gospel of grace is right here in the middle of these commands. You say, what? Hold, hang with me. Let me open it up this way. A few years ago, um, about seven years ago, I'm relatively new here as, as the pastor at Bethany Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, what's new to me is in, in that time is preaching every single week. You know, when I was a youth pastor, you know, I stood up and talked. But, but man, this thing every week of preaching a message is hard work. What's especially hard about it isn't just talking good, but it's giving true substance and meat and stuff for people to walk out to nourish their souls. It's hard work. And what what I know nourishes a soul, what I want to make sure centers all my messages is the gospel of grace, what I'm talking about. But I'm finding it so hard to do. So I begin to read and pull stuff in to figure this out. One of the books I grabbed was a book by the name of Steve, it was an author by the name of Steve Brown. Some of you know Steve Brown? Some of you know him. He's, if you don't, maybe you've heard him. He's got that deep, real voice. I can't even imitate it. He's on WDAC, if you listen to that radio station. I think he's still on in the afternoon, I think. He's on WJTL. He has like a little like three-minute clip where he usually gives some kind of exhortation about God's love. He's on Word FM. He has a little clip, I think, I forget what day of the week. Um. He's, he's a seminary president uh, down in Florida. So I picked this book up, Three Free Sins. The title alone just grabbed me because I'm like, what does that mean? Like, he's, and his whole point was in the book is that we as Christians get so fixated on sin management and behaving and obeying the rules. And he says, man, loosen up. So I read the book. The book challenges me. But I was, I'm was like, but Steve, but Steve, but Steve. You're hitting one side of it and you're not sharing the other. Let's balance this thing out. So I thought, well, I'm resting with this. And rest. So I decide I'm going to email him. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done that. You don't usually get emails back from the authors, especially big name authors. They usually go off somewhere and I don't know where those emails go. I don't know if they're reading them. I don't know where they're at. Steve actually replied to me. I want to tell you about his reply. Look with me at chapter 5. Here's what I wrote to him. I quoted chapter 5, verse 3 through 7. It says this. I said, Steve, I love your challenge of living by grace and faith. I love it, I love it, I love it. It brought, it brought nourishment to my soul. However... I don't feel like you spent enough time on the opposite side on the, on, and wrestling with some of the tension in Scripture on the, on the flip side. Like, I said, Ephesians, we're up to this section, Ephesians 5, verse 3. And read it with me. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Now, they're hard words. And I wrote to Steve, Steve, see, there's things that I have to do, and if I don't do, look at verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. So there's no free sin, Steve, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things, don't participate in the things these people do. So Steve writes back. He spoke into my life. He, he, it was, it was, I, I say it in such a precious, precious email to me. I save it. I still have it. It meant the world to me. And here's what he ultimately said. He said, Adam, I'll give you his quote. He said, Adam, in my reading of the New Testament, I seldom, if ever, find a command that's not given in the context of the gospel of grace. He said, in my reading of the New Testament, Adam, you're right, there are commands that we are to obey, but I seldom ever, in my Matthew, Mark, Luke, and all the way through to Revelation, I seldom ever find a command that's given in the, that's not in the context of the gospel of grace. He says, for example, it's interesting to me that you give me verse three through seven, but don't give me one and two and verse eight. But then, before you read them, hold on. Hold on. Here's my challenge to us. We're, myself included, we aren't always great Bible readers. We want a quick fix a verse that I can post on Instagram, a verse I can stick on the mug or put on my wall, a verse that will speak to my problems. And we don't always read context. And when I talk context, I'm not just talking, and Steve said to me, Adam, don't just look at the verses around it, look at the entire letter that it sits in. The entire letter, think of chapter one and two that we spent time on a few weeks ago. What is chapter one and two all about? This magnificent, great, glorious God that, that stepped into our world by grace, he saved us. Now, look down, now, now, now again, look down at verse one of chapter five. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his what? You're his dear children. So the context for when he says, don't be sexually impure, the context is, therefore, you are who? What are you? Identify yourself. I'm God's child. Now it doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of who? Christ. What did he do? He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So before he ever says, Don't live this way, keep mind of who you are. The context is grace is the gospel. Look at verse 8. For once you were, this is past tense. So he says, so even if you're doing these things, keep in mind they're not you. It's, it was past. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people. Live who you are, in other words. You have the light of Jesus inside of you. Live who you are. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Trust the light that's in you. Now, with that said, let's jump back to chapter 4. You say, well, Adam, is it there with the put on, put off? Is the context of the gospel there? And and that whole anger section, is it there? Well, let's go, with me back. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Therefore, now, as you read the scriptures, therefore, I had a Bible professor say at one time, you always, when you see therefore, understand what therefore is therefore. Therefore links backwards. So what is he linking backwards to? So everything he's about to say is built on the foundation of something else. And so immediate was what we talked about last week. Experience the love of Christ. That's the, the prayer that he had. So, so therefore, because of all that Christ has done, because of all that he could do, I think it also links us back to the whole letter. And why do I say that? Look at this. Therefore... I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you who have been called by God. You say, no, oh, wait a minute, no, oh, wait a minute, no, oh, wait a minute. That's familiar. Well, it is familiar. Remember chapter one, you're, you're chosen. And it's not to say who isn't chosen. Remember we talked about that? It's like talking, it's an adoptive parent talking to the child who's, who has attachment struggles and the parent looking in the eyes and saying, I chose you right? Remember we talked about that? But I think more at length, look at chapter 2, verse 8. Read it with me. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for that. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So listen, you have been saved by grace. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you're his child, it's not because of what you have done. It's not because you go to church and because you do all the good things that you do. It's because of his grace. Now look at verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. It's a of art. It's an artistic term. It's God has stepped in with his hands and formed you and made you. He's we, the we there is talking about Christian people, people that are his children. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So remember we had a few weeks ago, you move from death to life. he have been created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's got a unique plan for every one of you who's been called his child. Chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling that you have been called by God. So everything he's about to tell you is in the context of keep in mind what Jesus has done for you and what he's called you to. So before he steps out, and Steve, I think, is right. I've studied the scripture since Steve, and I'm like, man, every time I see a command, the gospel's present. So continue reading. What are the commands? Look at verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I love this. I love this. Keep in mind, God does not expect perfection this side of heaven. Skip that one. He does not expect perfection this side of heaven. Now, I say this, I say this because those of us who miss the gospel of grace become wicked taskmasters. And do you know who we are the hardest to? Yes, the people in our lives are, don't really care for us. Because when we don't live by grace and we're not humble people, we start living by law and have a checkoff list. Everyone around us feels the pressure of that perfection. But do you know who feels it more than anyone? Me. Yourself. We constantly beating ourselves up. I love this. Be humble. Realize you're never going to be perfect this not heaven. Now the verse goes on, verse three, make every effort, 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 effort. I love this word. The word is an athletic word. The word is, the word is to sweat, to, to work hard, to to dig in. I mean, it's like make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. So again, grace, this is not some warm, fuzzy, oh, let's just all sing kumbaya and we're all gonna get along. And make an effort, work hard, be intentional. Specifically, he's gonna go at again the theme of the whole letter. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. So, again, even in the midst of this effort, even in the midst of stay together, he slips in. There's this glorious hope that you've been called to gospel. Now, verses. 5 through 16, you're going to read this week in your reading plan. I don't have time to dive into them now. It's, it's, it captures the theme of the whole letter of, of being united, everything brought together in Christ, under Christ. We've all got a unique gift. We've all got a unique calling. Work together as one body. God's given the body some leaders, pastor, shepherd, teacher, evangelist, apostle. So he's given these people to equip this body, to strengthen this body so we can all grow up and mature. Then look at verse 17. Kind of transitions now to the verses that we were in. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. I cannot stress enough. Continually chasing your own pleasure will harden your heart. God has given you a conscience as a gift. Listen to it. Now, let me say this. This is hard work. Jesus says the Christian life is dying to self. If you are truly growing in grace, if you are truly stepping in and pushing against the the sin that's still in you, it is at times going to feel like death. And that's a good thing. Don't harden your heart. Don't shut your ears down. Now look at the transition. This is what I wanted to show you. Ultimately building to this. You say, is is the put off put on in the context of the gospel? Look at verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. In other words, what haven't I learned? I haven't learned to just run after my own pleasure. That's not what I learned about Christ. That's not how Christ lived. Verse 21, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. See, it's all one sentence, but see, in our English Bibles, we put verse marks there, so we just kind of jumped in and read verse 22, but it's all one sentence. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. Well, let me ask this. What truth have you learned about Jesus in the letter of Ephesians? We'll go back and thumb through it. You've learned that before time, he knew you. You learn that he stepped into this world so that he can say to God the Father, hey, they are faultless and without blame. They are your children. He gave you the spirit of God that would seal you, that would lock you up for him one day. He he gave you all the riches in the heavenly places, which we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. He he stepped in with his patience and kindness and long-suffering and grace. That is what we learned about Jesus. So in light of what you've learned about Jesus, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, and then it goes on with all the things that you should put off and put on. Let me talk to it this way. Let me kind of help this make sense. Let me give you a corny joke. Okay, I have junior hires at home, and I know kids right now, corny jokes are a really big thing right now, right? Um, uh, What did the buffalo say to his son when he went to college? There we go. My wife knows because, bye son. Bye son. Bye, son. Get it. Ha ha. So, corny jokes. Here's a corny joke for you that applies directly to this text. When is a door not a door? Someone said it. When it's a jar. Someone said it. I, who said that? Was that you, Denise? Nice job. When it's a jar. When is a door not a door? When it's a jar. So how do you make change? Well, the heart of this passage is to say, we don't want to be a door, we want to be a jar. So when is a door not a jar? when it's a jar? So let let me illustrate it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. I want all of you right now to think of the number eight. Okay, grab it, pull it into your mind. Think about the number eight. Think, get a picture of it. You know, it's got those two, it looks like a snowman that lost its head. Maybe, you you know, it's a racetrack that loops around. Uh, Maybe you know, four plus four equals eight. Seven plus one equals eight. Ten minus two equals eight. Think of all the math facts that equate to eight. Just think about the number eight. Really grab it, think about it, process it, fall in love with it. I mean, eight is amazing. Eight is great. I mean, what's the one about, anyway, I was giving another joke, forget it. Um, Eight. Now, You thinking about eight? You got eight? Stop thinking about eight. I command you to stop it. Stop thinking about eight. Now, those of you that were able to stop thinking, you know what you did? You stopped. You started thinking about something else. That's the only way to stop. When is a door not a door? When it's a jar. So you know how you stop thinking about eight? Why well, start thinking about number seven? I like seven better anyway. Seven's a much better number. So forget eight. I like seven. So instead of thinking about eight, I'm gonna think about seven. This is the spiritual principle of of Ephesians four. Let me let me step in and push in a little more. Let me let me talk about this character here, Superman. I think this will maybe make it make more sense. So Superman, he's an alien from another land. He comes to this land, and his parents that raise him out in the Midwest know that, dude, if, if you run around as you really are, they're going to want to kill you. I mean, this is, this is. So they disguise him as Clark Kent, right? So you know the story, right? So Clark Kent moves to the big city. He becomes a newspaper writer. He wears his black glasses. He, he um, I mean, he's Superman, but he's, but he's Clark Kent. Now, Clark Kent, when he, would, when he would sense trouble, what did he do? Someone's in trouble. The old lady's crying down the street. I mean, so Clark Kent would run to the phone booth. And he would put on his Superman suit, how we said it. Now, I did some research this week. You know, in, the, in all the Superman comics, he only went to a phone booth like three times. But for some reason in our minds, he runs to the, super, he runs to, he runs to the phone booth. So so again, he runs in, but here's the thing. Keep this in mind. What did did Clark Kent really do in in the phone booth? He changed, but he simply took off his Clark Kent uniform because you know what he didn't do? You never see him run in with one of these, do you? He never goes in with a suitcase. I'm always like, dude, where did you get the clothes? Like suddenly you walk out with this. These blue spandex and his red cape. I mean, how cool is that? And those big red boots. I mean, cool. But he never walks in with one of these. ever. Do you know why? He's taking off his Clark Kent and revealing to the world who he really is. That's the Christian life. So here's the deal. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm really not Pastor Adam. I know some of you. <laughs> I know some of you have been wondering. You figured it out, haven't you? And I'm so glad to get that off. That was hot. Holy mackerel. It's the only shirt I had that unzipped. Man, of daisies, that thing is warm. Um, (laughs) But here's the the picture. Think of S, forget Superman, think of Spirit Man, Holy Spirit, right? Here's the thing. When you become a Christian, the scriptures teach that you are made new. You're given the Spirit of God. You are his child now. You are adopted. You're in the, all the things that Ephesians talks about. This is who you are. This is your identity. Now, the reality is it, we still have this, this body that's decaying, and it's not going to be made new, to the scriptures say, till we get to heaven. So the scriptures speak of this already not yet principle. They say you are holy. You are blameless. You are, and you're like, no, wait a minute. No, I don't feel that. That's, you don't feel that because you still have sin in you. You're not a sinner. You're actually a saint. You identify as a saint. God looks at you not as a sinner. He looks at you as his child. So, that, so what Paul is saying is keep in mind what you've learned about Jesus. Keep the gospel in mind. Keep in mind about who you are and simply don't run around with your suitcase. Don't run around with all your hard work trying to put it on. Just simply take off who you're not and show the world who you are. That's it. You say, Adam, Adam, that's still kind of, how, how do I do that? Well, look at verse 30. Let me give you really, those of you who like good practical, this is what I do. Be careful because I, I get why we do that, but that can lead us to a dark place. But here, look at verse 30. <clears throat> so after the put off, put on section, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Do not, so you can truly grieve God's heart. Here's what I've learned about um, Parenting. I've learned it as a child growing with a parent. I've learned it now as a dad who has teenage, teenage children. You know what I've learned about parenting? Law-driven parenting does not work. It produces rebellious children. Parenting that works, you know what kids learn? Kids learn who you are. Kids learn from just you, just your way of being that's what really works at home. That's not to say you don't need to change behavior and correct stuff. And I'm not saying, don't, don't hear me saying that. But the heart of is, is just, I'm going to be. So i got to pay attention to who I am because my kids are picking up. You ever hear this old statement, more is caught than is taught? My kids are picking up me. So i got problems with anger. My kids are picking it up. Now, more than that, test me on this. If you have a boss that you would consider class A jerk, maybe you want to put another word in there. Maybe your boss is really bad and he's a donkey. I mean, he is a real, he has got problems or she has got problems. Okay? If you've ever worked for someone like that, you know what I've discovered when we work for people like that? We cheat the system. We don't obey. We're always looking for loopholes. They don't deserve my allegiance. They don't deserve my respect. They take it from me. I'm going to take it from them. That's how we don't want to go there. We don't like that about ourselves, but we do it. Now, when you have a boss that truly loves you, like not just because you're a number and you're getting things done for him or her, but because he he or she really, truly cares about you, what do you do for that boss? You're not looking for loopholes. You don't want to cheat them. You give them everything you have. That's the gospel of grace. When you see God, not as this taskmaster in the sky, expecting you to honor his law, but you see him as someone who loves you, who died for you, who crossed heaven and earth to reach you, to adopt you, to bring you into his family. When you understand all that he's done for you, you want to step out and honor him. And when you don't, we grieve him, it grieves us. So start paying attention. Oh, my goodness. It's not, I didn't obey God. And he's going to beat me and discipline me. And oh, my goodness, now I'm not going to have the life I want. Now I'm not going to get all the things. I. You know what? Most of us obey because we want things from God. That's idolatry. God says, no, I love you. Be with me. Know me. And in that process, whew, so look what it says. Look at verse 30 then. Do not, do not bring sorrow to God. We don't want to do that because we, he loves us. We love him. Remember. Remember. You know, Chris, those of you in the room that are Christians, kind of say to you for a minute, I don't think you need new information. You know, one of the things I try and do as a pastor is constantly come back to old information. If you really want to do this well in life, spend your energy remembering things. Like... I'm his child. I'm dearly loved. Nothing I can do will cause him to love me less or love me more. I can't earn his acceptance. I can't earn his grace. I need to remember. That's the Christian life. And let me give you a step, pra- go in even more practical. The, the Christian life is ultimately a relationship. How do relationships work? Relationships work like it is with my wife. I love my wife. I want to get to know my wife. She gets to know me. As we get to know each other more, we appreciate each other more. It's a relationship. You know, if you have the Spirit of God in you, he's talking to you. Listen to him. And we say, no, no, Adam, give me rules. Give me laws. That's the problem. Listen to him. There might be a time for you to go to bed in your anger. Listen to God. Hey, Adam, don't engage that. Man, you're you're right now in this relationship with your wife. You're sideways right now in this argument. Just go to bed. Let her know you love her. Whatever you need to say, just go to bed. Get up in the morning and come at this from a fresh perspective. There's times you need to hear the spirit telling you that. There are other times when you need to hear the spirit saying, oh, no, 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 Adam. Don't go to bed. Push in. Push in. You're almost there. You, you, Adam, you need to, Adam. what's really happening is there, your air hose is being stamped on and you don't like it. Adam, just confess that. Get over yourself and push in. But that's not what we like. We say, no, 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 no. We want a rule. We want a law. Okay, I can never go to bed angry. I'm going to stay up no matter what. Yeah, and I'm going to kill the people I love in the process. It's a relationship. So here's what I'd say. James chapter 4 says it is sin. When God tells you to do something, you don't do it as sin. It's not referring to the commands of the scripture. It's referring to his whispers to your heart. Like, hey, go invite them to have lunch with you. They're over there all by themselves. Listen to him. Hey, send them a thank you note. Send them an encouragement note. Take them a meal. Go visit. Listen. Hey, you know what? Go see the heart doctor because, you know, you're eating too much ice cream. You're getting kind of heavy. And, you know, you don't want to leave your kids without. So go listen to him. Push in and listen. So I'd say it this way. Start maybe tomorrow or tonight or this afternoon. Start with something that you've been putting off. I think it's the best way to do this. Because chances are he's been telling you something, you're not listening. I'll end with this verse. Come back to where we started with the verse on anger. Let me show you David's version of it. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right what? In other words, don't come to this place to do your religious thing so that God will bless your life. So that you can have all his gifts. It's not the right spirit. The right spirit is, oh my gosh, I've sinned. God, I know who you are. I know what I've done. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repent. And what repentance means, I'm going to turn towards you and put the ball in your court because I trust you. I'm giving it to you. That's what it says, with the right spirit and trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. The famous verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. God, we're talking about this morning, it's hard work, it's a lot of effort, it's a lot of, it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, God, I and sometimes I would like the law and like the neat black and white system of do this, don't do that, and clean it up and move on. And, but, man, God, thank you. Thank you for pushing us through that, for knocking that wall down, for bringing us home, for, for loving us in spite of us. God, you love us. You've embraced us. God, those in this room that, that know they're embraced, that know they're Christ followers, that know that they've put their faith in you, God, would they do the hard work of remembering even right now, would they just push in and allow, allow uh, what you have done in the person of Jesus to stir in them so they experience your love and experience your grace in a way that they can't help but step into this week and do the hard things that they've been putting off. Help us to be attuned to your spirit, to be listening to you. and God, as you tell us to do things, God, out of love and out of, out of respect and and. and and all that you are, may we step in and do them, even when you ask us to do hard things. And God, for those in the room, there, there are those here in the room that didn't walk in here as followers of Jesus. God, and right now, they, they, it's not just a matter of taking stuff on, God, they, they, need, they need the super suit put on. And God, they can't put it on. They need you to do that. So God, I pray right now, if there's those in the room right now that, that are far from you, that are not connected with you, not in relationship, not following you, not your children, would you whisper to their hearts, would you, would, you, would you stir in them and bring them alive for the very first time, would they respond to you in faith? Not their works, not their efforts, not any of that, but just in faith, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. And God, for all of us, that's where we live and where we need to stay. God, thank you for scripture, thank you for initiating a relationship with us, And God, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.